When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Hello and welcome along to the first Football Social Daily podcast of the 2022-23 Premier League season. Yes, back in business as we prepare to go again in the next 12 months of Premier League action. A return to Premier League normality also means a return to our daily podcast schedule. A brand new, fresh Premier League show every 24 hours. So, as always, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and you can get access to those shows as soon as they are ready to roll. All 20 teams in action over the opening weekend and we'll be checking in with all the major talking points across what has been a brilliant 48 hours. Up first, unsurprisingly, is the early title tension. The Nordic meat shield himself, Erling Haaland, getting a fantastic start on his Premier League debut. Two goals as defending champion City won 2-0 away at West Ham. But on the flip side, the capital was less than a happy hunting ground for rivals Liverpool. Two-all draw away at New Boys Fulham, whilst Thomas Tuchel's Chelsea won 1-0 at Everton. That's all to come in part one. Part two, mixed bag for the promoted sides. Bournemouth back with a bang, but Nottingham Forest fans who've waited 23 years to see their side back in the big time were left disappointed by a 2-0 defeat at Newcastle. And then to wrap it all up, we have our result of the weekend. Tottenham 4-1 winners against Southampton as Antonio Conte offered a timely reminder that Spurs will be in the mix this season. So, busy show in store as always. My name's Fergal Brennan and on duty tonight, fresh from a pre-season of globetrotting with Manchester United, you might not get Ronaldo on a plane to Australia, but you will get the Stretford Paddock's Jay Motti. Jay... Fantastic summer, crap opening weekend. Yeah, I'd rather be going back on a, a plane to uh, Australia, I could, mind <laughs> you. 
they've got they've got access to the internet there, so it wouldn't help me. But yeah, it was a great summer. It's just a shame that we are back to uh, normality because this is normality for Manchester United, isn't it? Really losing football matches. Uh, unfortunately, so someone that wouldn't trade all the cocktails with Eric Ten Hag in the world for a debut brace for Erling Haaland is a delighted Manchester City fan, Adam Keyworth. Couldn't have gone much better. No, uh, I think I, even I'm surprised, and I'm, I'm sure we'll get into it. But uh, yeah, a, a really good result for City. You usually start quite slowly, and we've got Jay uh, in a mood again. So it's a really good start to the season. I swapped this weekend, but I was thinking it doesn't matter because if it had done next weekend, we'll probably lose that anyway. So <laughs> it is any weekend, any uh, any Sunday that ends in day tends to be Jay moaning about Manchester United losing. Uh, Adam, we're going to kick off with Manchester City. It's the game that's just finished on Sunday afternoon, and Erling Haaland was the big pre-game talking point and he's the big post-game talking point. The 90 minutes that went on in between are almost a little bit irrelevant because everybody, even non-Manchester City fans, were peeping over the fence because everybody wants to get a look at Erling Haaland. Everyone wants to know how is he going to get on? Is he going to get 50 goals? Is he going to get a million goals? And based on today, yes, one of them was a penalty and one of them really well-taken finish from Kevin De Bruyne's pass. It looks positive that he could just storm it this season. Yeah, I think um, we all knew he was going to score goals. It was just a case of when. He got slagged off by some in the press after the Liverpool game, but I thought he was really good in the Community Shield. And today, I think what is terrifying is if you look at that first goal where he wins the penalty, he makes up about 15 yards in four paces. It's His pace is frightening. He's got the acceleration. His finishing is obviously good enough. He can take penalties, which is unusual for a City, a city player who... Uh, after the last few years we've had every man and his dog try to take a penalty and missing them in important moments but I think the key thing with Haaland is he's playing the way that we play anyway we're not really changing the style up front the thing is if we're not playing very well and we weren't great today we controlled it but we failed to create enough but we created two really good chances and took both so that's going to be the danger and it it reminded me a bit of Madrid last year with Benzema where you can have a bit of a, a down day and you've got a striker up front who'll put everything in the net. So quite scary. Um, really good performance first up. And it's the way he deals with pressure. He's 22. He's got everyone watching him. Everyone was watching the game to see, oh, is he is he going to score or is, is he going to fail again and out come the memes and whatever. But he just takes it in his stride, wins the penalty, grabs the ball, takes the penalty. And the second goal is exactly what we've we've bought him for get on the end of a De Bruyne pass and slot it in so very exciting and probably quite frightening for everyone else are you frightened Jay I mean we're talking about Erling Haaland we're going to talk about Darwin Nunez for Liverpool and his debut in just a few minutes but everybody looking on at these two players is itching to see how they'll get on arguably Haaland a little bit more he's got probably a bigger profile coming into the Premier League based on the goals that he scored in the Champions League for Borussia Dortmund but when you look at a game like this the potential that Haaland might not hit the ground running and might have a little bit of a sticky first few weeks that's all gone in the bin now yeah I mean like Kesey was saying there some of the criticism he was getting after the Community Shield was a little bit ridiculous we know he's class he's going to score loads of goals City create loads of chances pains me to say I'm taking no pleasure in any of this they don't City don't tend to you know misspend the money I know they spend money but they spend it well and this is a guy who, who potentially could be you know one of the best players in the world he's not far off it towards that already so you know he's going to score loads of goals the only question is can he stay fit 
And if he stays fit, he'll score loads of goals. And out of the two, Nunes and Haaland, I know they're both quality, but I think City have got a better player in Haaland. I think, you know, Nunes is good, but I don't think he's in, on the same level of, um, of Erling Haaland, who just... He just looks phenomenal, doesn't he? And, you know, my only sort of saving grace with all of this is it's kind of irrelevant what Man City and Liverpool are doing at the minute to me as a Man United fan, other than a bit of pride. Uh, we're going to move over to Liverpool because as straightforward as this was for Manchester City on the opening weekend, Adam, it wasn't nearly as comfortable or as an easy ride for Liverpool. Two all draw away at Fulham, obviously Fulham back in the Premier League, having been promoted from the Championship at the end of 21-22. This was a really difficult, awkward performance for Liverpool. And just, we know that the Premier League starts in terms of the title race, right from the beginning now. There's not really any room for any slip-ups or any dip in form because Manchester City will either just power away from Liverpool or Liverpool will just power away from Manchester City. Last season, Liverpool only lost two Premier League games. And going back over the last few seasons, other than 2020 uh, where they lost nine and just fell apart, they've never lost more than three games. They've already kind of lost one of their get-out-of-jail-free cards with this draw. This is a big setback. Yes, there's a huge amount of time to go, but given how brutal City were against West Ham today, this was really poor from Liverpool against the team that they should just be sticking three or four past. Yeah, I watched the game and I thought at first they looked complacent and they come out thinking we don't have to put in full effort here. We'll we'll beat them somehow. And there's not been enough talk, I don't think, about Mane leaving because... He's the player who would have scored the winner yesterday, last season. He's the player who always digs them out with the little scrappy goal that will will turn the tide and win them the game. I think the other thing is, and I got a load of stick for this last season on the podcast, I think Liverpool's midfield is poor. And I say poor compared to City's midfield, probably Spurs' midfield now. It just doesn't have a lot. And Thiago picked up an injury, and that's that's a problem because he's the one who plays the forward passes. But Cater, Henderson, Fabinho, it feels a little bit rusty and a bit old. I was a bit worried that they'd go for Bellingham, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen this summer. But I think they're going to struggle to keep up with the pace with that midfield. It feels a bit, I don't know, not dull. It just feels very mechanical and there's not much forward passing going on. They brought Harvey Elliott on and they look well better. So it depends if he's going to stick with that and... They just looked really rusty, which is surprising because they came out of the traps against City and for time in that game blew us away. So I'm not sure if it is just ring rust, but I think that squad's quite thin. And I think with that midfield, they might struggle. You say about the get out of jail free card, the thing with that Fulham game, it's not a big issue at the minute because it's the first game of the season. You can have a little blip. City lost the opening game last year away at Spurs. But not winning at Fulham, Fulham is one of the games that you look at at the start of the season and it's no disrespect to Fulham, Liverpool are a miles better team. Fulham are not Spurs. Yeah, exactly. And you look at that fixture and you think three points. You can't really afford to be slipping up against Fulham in the brutal title race that's going to come. Um, But yeah, I was... I just found it weird. I found the performance really weird. They just didn't create a lot. And there was there was a part of the game where Salah was so far wide on the right. He wasn't able to cut in like he does. And it just felt weird. And Liverpool fans will be a bit worried. But like you say, there's loads of time to go. It's just not ideal, is it? For them. Anyway. 
Jay, I want to ask you about Darwin Nunez because he was one of the only, if not the only, bright spark for Liverpool yesterday. Came off the bench, got a goal, got an assist for Salah and really looked to, to occupy the Fulham back line because prior to him coming on, as Adam said, Liverpool did look a bit rusty. Virgil van Dijk gave away the penalty against Mitrovic. Alisson hasn't kicked the ball during pre-season. He's only just come back into the team. Thiago going off injured. Klopp was annoyed by various things on the touchline and then was angry in his, in his post-match at the end of the game. But... Nunez for Liverpool, he offers them something that arguably in terms of the way that he plays, and I know it's a bit of a cliche because he's Uruguayan, that they haven't had since Luis Suarez, type of striker that will chase lost causes, will carve stuff out of nothing, will get across man at the front post and, and get those goals. Yeah, I mean, he does all that. Like you said, he is obviously a handful. And he, he sort of one of the goals he got yesterday was just by being in the right place at the right time and taking a chance with his little flick. And it, it came off, you know, it was a, wasn't the greatest goal when you look at watching it back, but it, it was effective. Obviously, he put the ball, the ball end up in the back of the net, and that's what you need. I think with, with Liverpool, you know, Nunes, we know what he's going to do. They are going to create chances. I get where Keyes is coming from about their midfield. And I know we're talking about Liverpool and, and how this was points dropped for them, but I thought it was really telling how much trouble Mitrovic caused them. He was everywhere. And Van Dijk was struggling against him at times. He was. And we have this image of uh, this sort of reputation with Van Dijk. Of he's this infallible defender and he's already been, some people suggesting, he's the greatest Premier League defender ever, which I think is ridiculous. But he struggled at times. And I think that if clubs look at it and think, you know what? Yes, Liverpool are going to have much better days. But they have got weaknesses. And I think part of the thing is, if you get at Liverpool, if you attack them and you have that belief, you've got a fighting chance against them. I think the problem is too many teams sort of, they go a goal behind or they, they struggle in the first 20 minutes and then that's it, it's all over. But there, there, are, there were a few weaknesses to expose. But, you know, Nunes, like I said earlier, he's going to get them a load of goals. They lost Sadio Mane though. And, the, you know, is he going to get them more goals than Mane would have? I'm not sure. I think they're just replacing, I know he's a different type of player, but one goal scorer is going out, one's coming in. It's just whether the other departments, if you will, the defence and, and, and their attack, because there's also those question marks. Again, I think it was a little bit harsh on him, but Trent Alexander-Arnold at the back post, people pointing out him again, getting done at the back post. I think when Mitrovic has got a run-up and he's attacking that ball, you're on a bit of a hiding to nothing, but it is a bit of an issue there. So it'll be interesting to see how Liverpool sort of iron out these little tiny issues that they've got, shall we say. Before we uh, take a break, Adam, I just want to ask you about Chelsea. We're still including them in the wider Premier League title race this season because you expect them to be there or thereabouts, and particularly if they can bring in some new players before the window closes. I know that might sound a bit strange. They've signed Raheem Sterling, Kalidou Koulibaly's come in, and, and Mark Kukurea got off the bench against Everton yesterday to, to get a few minutes. This, as a game, as a spectacle, probably wasn't the most exciting. The, the interesting point was the amount of injury time, 15 minutes in total, added on at Goodison Park. Jorginho's penalty gets in Chelsea a 1-0 win and three points but Thomas Tuchel said after the game that they are still in the market they are still looking for players Marcus Alonso is getting ready to leave Cesar Azpilicueta is staying but you get the sense that the most important thing for them in the next few weeks is maybe not necessarily battering teams and hammering in a load of goals it's about building up that squad which based on the fact they've spent £150 million on three players as I say might sound a little bit strange but you do get the sense that if they don't get in really important players to fill out certain areas of the squad, they're not going to get anywhere near Liverpool or City. I think Chelsea's transfer window has been all over the place, to say the least. Um, obviously, they need centre-halves. Koulibaly looked really good from the highlights anyway, uh, but I think that was a given. He was going to be good. Thiago Silva's still got it, which is ridiculous at this point. Um, but they are going to have to bring more in, and I, I don't know if Cucurella's going to be able to do it as a 
as like the short left centre back. It looks like they're going to have to Fafana. Sterling did all right from what I've seen. Um, I just think they're a bit all over the place in terms of what they're actually after. They've got so many attacking players. They've got about 15 players to play four positions. The midfield's all right. They're, they're going to be in the title race until they're not, and that sounds stupid, but if they're winning those games, the little 1-0s against Everton, which they're not easy games, especially first time out, and Everton try to prove a point, you've got to kind of win those nasty sometimes, and that's a very too cool thing to do, as we saw in that Champions League run. So, yes, they might bring a few players in, but if they bring De Jong in, rather than going to United, and they bring Fafana in, and uh, whoever else, I still don't know what that does for them. For me, I, I've not seen enough to think they might be in the title picture. We'll get on to Spurs later, who may well be the team that are going to be an issue, but I can't work Chelsea out is the, the short answer. I don't know what they're about, to be honest. OK, fair enough. Right, we are going to grab a quick break here on our first Premier League podcast of the 2022-23 season. Just a quick reminder, as always, we are back to a daily Premier League podcast. So hit subscribe up the top. You can get access to a brand new show as soon as it is ready. After the break, we're talking into some of the big talking points from the Premier League weekend. A fantastic result for Bournemouth as they return to the Premier League. But disappointment for Notts Forest away at Newcastle, Manchester United, Jay's going to be getting stuck into them losing against Brighton we've got a draw for Leicester and Jesse March's Leeds winning 2-1 against Wolves all that to come in just a sec Football Social Daily subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode Football Social Daily subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode Welcome back to the first Premier League podcast of the 2022-23 season here on Football Social Daily. It's great to be back to reality and it has been a brilliant first weekend of the campaign. Before the break, Manchester City, Liverpool and their title aspirations and Chelsea. Will they be in the battle against Jurgen Klopp and Pep Guardiola? But for the second part, Jay, we're going to move into teams that probably have different aspirations including Manchester United but we're going to get to them in just a second because I want to touch on the promoted sides the first weekend of the Premier League season there's always attention on teams that have come up are they going to start positively can they get a really big win under their belts to boost them and get some momentum going so Bournemouth 2 Aston Villa nil. Pretty routine, really, for Bournemouth. Two quite direct goals. Kiefer Moore getting a very Kiefer Moore-style goal. He admitted that in his post-match press conference where he said he's made that run and scored that goal a million times. And Bournemouth fans will be delighted that he managed to knock one in to get them three points in this game. Steven Gerrard frustrated at full-time, but this sounds bad because Bournemouth fans listening to this will say, we've just won, what more could we do? We're back in the Premier League, but there still doesn't seem to be an awful lot about them. We talked about Fulham before the break, Alexander Mitrovic. I know there's question marks about him scoring goals in the Premier League, but Fulham seemed to have something about them. This seemed more like a solid performance and Villa are not really up to speed yet. Yeah, I think that's pretty fair to say. I mean, listen, Bournemouth will be buzzing the fact they've got a, an open day win and, you know, it's, just, it's a 2-0 win. It's it's a solid win. Like you say, there are a lot of question marks about Bournemouth and it's easy to dismiss them and look at them and go, have they got the quality? But, you know, if you can just get points on the board, that's half the battle. We saw it last season where newly promoted teams struggled to get any points 
And at one point, you know, I think was it Norwich were looking at a record low low amount of points at one point and things like that. You can start getting into your head. So just get off the mark can give you a bit of a lift as well. I think most of the, the talk that I've seen following this game hasn't been about Bournemouth. It hasn't been about them getting a result or them doing well or whatever. It's about... Villa not being good enough. Villa flattering to deceive. Steven Gerrard's record being the same as Gary, Ver Gary Neville's at Valencia. All this sort of stuff, rather than what Bournemouth have done. So it'll be interesting to see how they, they sort of if they can build on this because I think, like you say, there are a lot of question marks about him. But for Villa, who you know have a lot of attention on him now because they spend money, they've got a high-profile manager. It was a very poor performance from them. On the flip side of uh, a positive for Bournemouth, it was definitely negative, uh, Adam, for Nottingham Forest back in the Premier League for the first time since 1999. And it is going to be tough to get their feet, get themselves adjusted to being in the Premier League. The Premier League is a very, very different beast since the last time they were there. And Steve Cooper's brought in a huge amount of players. I think it's the record for Premier League signings this season. 13 new players. Obviously, promotion last season was built on loan players that were really, really important for them. This is it's only really going to go one of two ways, I think, for Steve Cooper this season. Forrest is all going to work. It's all going to click. And they do a bit of a Sheffield United or a Wolves and maybe trouble the top half and Europe if things go really, really well. Or it is going to be a car crash. And looking at this performance yesterday, Newcastle looked really sound, really solid. They've recruited smartly over the summer and we know the resources that they've got to bring in new players. It doesn't look good for Nottingham Forest. There's 37 games left to go, of course but this looks a bit tricky for them. Yeah, you, you're spot on there with what you say about this, the new players and, and how they're going to adapt and what they did last year with the lone players. The other thing with last season is they were so far behind for a while and Cooper managed to get it working. The important thing for Forrest is they need to keep Cooper there. Don't panic. Don't be knee-jerk like Watford have been in the past and it doesn't work. Keep him there and let him try and shape the team, but they're going to have to get that team kind of fixed and stable because you, you spot on that's the difference between them and Newcastle Newcastle's players are obviously better but they look settled they look like a proper unit they look like they've been playing together really impressive really but that's what Howe's done he was given a bit of time last season to build that and Forrest are doing it on a, a lower level cash wise but they've brought in a lot of quite well rated players and they've done it the way that Cooper wants to do it so give him time but Jay said it before when you're a newly promoted team just get off the mark it doesn't matter if it's scrappy however Forrest can do it they just need some points because he was bang on when he said you'll get in your head like Norwich did they, they got so far behind even when they won a few games they were still miles off so Forrest could be alright I quite like what they've done in the transfer window it was always going to be tough when you're losing all the, the lone players and especially Garner from United he drove that team for the final bits of the season so they'll do well to stay up but I wouldn't write them off at all not yet anyway uh, one team that I'm fairly confident, but not 100%, that they will stay in the Premier League next season, Jay, is Manchester United. 2-1 defeat at Old Trafford on the opening weekend against Brighton. Strangely, despite all the positivity surrounding Eric Ten Hag coming in and the new players, Lissandro Martinez at the back, this almost looked as if it was a kind of written in the stars that Brighton were going to go to Old Trafford. We know that Brighton are, are good away from home against the better teams in the league. This was a team that have been really well coached for a number of seasons up against, to give Ten Hag his credit, a team that have been really well coached for a matter of weeks. I know Manchester United should be winning at home against Brighton in terms of when you look at the names on the team sheet, the names of the clubs, but this is not 
maybe the absolute curtains that it might be being professed as. But for United fans, the frustration just carries on because some of the positivity from pre-season will have drove into Old Trafford today. But this is a defeat and an irritating defeat at that. Yeah, that's the thing. I sort of get annoyed with myself for allowing myself to get a bit hopeful when when the season starts and you think, you know, pre-season we look pretty good. I was impressed with the youngsters. Then, you know, Malassia impressed me and Ericsson, we know what he's capable of and Martinez. And you think, okay, maybe we can do something. But almost from the get-go against Brighton, within the first, I think, minute, if, if not after the first 30 seconds, they had an attack and you thought, it's just more of the same from last season. Nothing has really changed. The crowd were frustrated. We're giving the ball away. We're second best. And you're right in the sense that Brighton are a team that has been coached well for the past few years under Graham Potter. But that's no excuse, you know, they've lost a couple of players in Bissouma and um, the lad who's gone to Chelsea, Cucurella. You know, United, though, just still look like almost, I dare I say almost, like we did under Ralph Ragnick. Not that much has changed and that surprised me because in pre-season you could see what Eric Ten Hag was trying to do. You could see the style of football he was trying to get us to play with the full-backs attacking, with the link-up play with the, the attackers as well, with the, a front three. Obviously losing Martial didn't help because he'd been sort of pivotal to that, but... Against Brighton, you just didn't see anything, really. You saw Christian Eriksen trying to make things happen, Bruno Fernandes trying to make things happen, and it just felt like United at their worst, really. And, yeah, it is really frustrating. I think the one... I don't know if you can call it a positive, but the one thing that we can say from this is there can be no sort of misapprehensions here. Eriksen Hag needs more reinforcements. He hasn't been bats in this transfer window at all, really. You know, Eriksen was a free, Malassi was 12 million quid, and Martinez, okay, he paid a bit bit of money for him. But when you look at what the other top sort of six teams who we finished, or top, yeah, the top six teams who we finished below uh, have done in the transfer market, compared to United, it's not good enough. And when you're struggling against teams like Brian, no disrespect to them, at Old Trafford, you know you're in for a long season, so... You know, I almost feel sorry for Eric Ten Hag because the big thing that everyone thought was maybe he can get the best out of the likes of Maguire and Shaw and Rashford and Sancho and all these players that have been underperforming under the, the, the previous managers. But going off the game against Brighton, he's got his work cut out, he really has. We're going to move on to some of the other games uh, from this weekend. Leicester 2, Brentford 2, Adam. And not to take anything away from Brentford, it was an impressive fight back. They were 2-0 down with 30 minutes to go. Ivan Tony and Josh De Silva getting the goals to get them a point at the King Power. But for Leicester, there's been this lingering thing right the way throughout the summer based on the absolute dearth of players coming into the club. Really important figure in Kasper Schmeichel moving on. Speculation over Yuri Tielemans potentially getting sold and leaving the club. Leicester fans will have be absolutely cringing at this because this is what they're worried about. They're worried about just sliding down from the European places into mid-table and potentially lower. You're 2-0 up at home with 30 minutes to go. You throw it away at a point where confidence is not great. This doesn't look good for Leicester. If you're a Leicester fan, you'd probably be a bit worried because I don't know what their ambition is this season. Like you said, they've... They've gone from champions to fighting for European places to sliding into mid-table. And they're losing all the best players. Losing Schmeichel, which seemed a bit odd that he'd go to a League One team. Kind of halfway through the, the transfer window. They haven't got a backup. They've got Ward in there, who's played about three games for them ever. It's They seem really, really disorganised. And they might be losing Fafana, Tielemans, Madison. With three weeks left of the transfer window, 
if they don't replace them and they're not going to be able to because you can't replace Madison in the current transfer window you can't replace Tielemans you definitely can't replace Fafana I think they'll really really struggle this season and this is a nightmare start for them you go two goals ahead at home against Brentford and again Brentford are a, a tough nut to crack we saw it last year Tony will, will be in and around and he did it again De Silva scored a great goal Brentford have still got a bit about them they're, they're going to do the same sort of thing this year they'll surprise teams but you can't throw away a two goal lead especially when things are looking quite dangerous for them again I don't think they're going to go down but I'd be stunned if the uh, top half of the table with the way that they're going Final game before we take a break, Jay. Leeds United 2, Wolves 1. This was an odd game because there was a bit of touchline beef between Jesse March and Bruno Lage. Both of them spoke about it after the game but didn't really want to go into the details. Three points for Leeds. It's been an interesting summer for them because Calvin Phillips going to Manchester City, Rafinha moving to Barcelona. The pressure is on Jesse March to wipe the slate clean. They've managed to stay up at the right at the death last season. He's brought in a lot of players. They had four debutants in the team against Wolves this weekend. This looks good, but this overhaul has to work. This almost Americanization of Elland Road needs to work in terms of Jesse and in terms of the United States internationals they've brought in. It's a bold move, Kent. Is it going to work? Um... I hope not, as a United fan. But, I mean, so far, I mean, you know, it's a big win that, I feel, over the spirit as well. Because they're a team that could struggle this season. I know they sort of <laughs> send... Sorry? <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it is like, it's, you know, it's that solid opening day win as well, getting that under your belt. Especially as, like you say, there was pressure on him. A lot of people questioning him, is he cut out for this? Leeds, when, you know, when you stay up in that fashion, some people don't buying into what you're doing you just think okay you've scraped through you've got over the line this isn't great you're not you're not some sort of genius you've just sort of almost flutes it a little bit so yes now he's got no excuses he's bought in all these players yes he's lost some as well but it'll be interesting to see how it pans out because I'm not going to pretend I know a lot of the players he's brought in I don't and I always think that with Leeds we saw it last season um, how they can suddenly one or two bad results can just spiral for them but a solid opening day one. And I think Wolves could struggle this season. I really do. They've always been there or thereabouts, haven't they, Wolves, in like sort of safe or, you know, top half of the table, whatever. But I just wonder whether this could be a season where they start really getting sucked into that relegation battle. It's too early to say to sell now. It's one game into it. But, it, you know, it, it could be quite telling. Yeah, that's one thing that I've definitely missed uh, over the summer is Jay pretending that he's having his arm twist to make a negative prediction about Leeds United. Three points on the opening weekend for Leeds fans is a big positive. Don't be listening to Jay, you've done well <laughs> so far. Uh, right, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, after the break, we've got two more games to get through. The focus is on North London. Results of the weekend goes to Tottenham. 4-1 win at home to Southampton. Antonio Conte has splashed the cash over the last couple of weeks. How are his new stars getting on? And Mikhail Arteta has continued to Manchester City defy Arsenal. Alexander Zinchenko and Gabriel Jesus both making their Gunners debut as Arsenal beat Crystal Palace 2-0 on Friday night. Both of those games coming up after the break. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. 
Welcome back to the first Football Social Daily Premier League podcast of the 2022-23 season. If you've missed us over the summer, thanks so much. But we are back in business, back to a daily Premier League podcast. Every 24 hours, hit subscribe and you can get access to a brand new show as soon as it is ready. We've got lots of exciting plans for the season to come, so make sure you are in the loop. Right, we're going to wrap up this weekend's show with two final games. Adam, result of the weekend, as I've crowned it through gritted teeth as an Arsenal fan goes to Tottenham 4-1 win at home to Southampton can be no doubt about how impressive they were and for me the big objective for Antonio Conte and Tottenham this weekend and moving into the early weeks and months of the campaign is getting those players who were excellent for them last season but might be looking over their shoulder this summer and thinking Am I being replaced? East Bissouma's come in, Richarlison's come in, Clement Longley, Ivan Perisic, Jed Spence. There's lots of players who were excellent for Spurs at the back end of last season that are looking at it and now and thinking, wow, Conte is brutal. If I'm not absolutely at it week in and week out, I'm not getting in the team. And you just look at the important people from the game yesterday. First Premier League goal for Ryan Sessegnon. He'd definitely be on that list of potentially getting squeezed out of the team. Eric Dyer, first Premier League goal in three years. And then Dejan Kulisevsky, just giving Richarlison and Perisic a little reminder, a goal and an assist. This was really impressive from Spurs. And if Conte can maintain that balance, keep everybody motivated, they're going to be a force. I'm slightly concerned about Tottenham this season and I'm saying this almost to even after all those nice things I've just said psychology it so it doesn't happen yeah yeah I I get it and what I'd say about Spurs is they've recruited excellently Jay mentioned it before it's what United should have done Spurs have done it superbly they've brought in proper depth proper proven players as well and in them doing that they don't have much time they don't need really the time to bed in Basuma knows what he's doing um and I must say, Kulisevsky is wonderful. I mean, I don't know what his ceiling's going to be, but he looks like a real player. Um, Richarlison, they've got off the bench, a really good option. I mean, them winning 4-1 without Kane and Son scoring is unheard of for Spurs because they're so reliant on those two, and rightly so. I think what Conte's doing is really good. Um, I just think it's that Conte season, like he's done it everywhere else, where he's going to have one big push at it. And if he doesn't get there, well, then who knows? But they're going to be a force this year. And because of the World Cup, if there's ever going to be a season where there might be a little surprise, it, it might be this year. But they do look a bit of a worry because it was comfortable. And I think Southampton are rubbish. And I'm sorry, Southampton fans. And I imagine Niall is very happy about that. But they look really poor. Um, so, yeah, it's it's great time to be a Spurs fan. For now, anyway. I'm hoping that I'm not saying that in six weeks. But... Yeah, really impressive stuff. I agree on, on Kulisevsky. I've been really impressed by him since he's come to Spurs. And I think in 2022, if you carry the back end of last season into this weekend, he's been arguably one of the best players in the Premier League. And he's got a little touch of the iron robin about him where he, defenders know what he's going to do. You know that he wants to cut back inside and whip that ball in or take a shot or just stand you up and skin you. He can do everything and he's a little bit better at everything that you anticipate him to be. He's a bit stronger than he looks. He's a bit quicker than he looks. I think he's absolutely brilliant. And this is what Antonio Conte wants at Spurs. And this is why the recruitment, maybe on face value, I've not been overly impressed with but what it does is it creates massive competition in areas of the squad that you look at it and say well they don't need anyone they've got Harry Kane they've got Song Hyung Min now they've got players chasing them down 
and they will step up. And that, for the rest of the Premier League, is a big, big danger because Conte will just drive these players and drive these players. And Kulisevsky genuinely is something different to Son and Kane and makes the Spurs attack just, just deadly. Um, we're going to wrap up with the final game taking it all the way back to Friday night, Jay. Crystal Palace nil, Arsenal 2. A few wobbles for Arsenal, a couple of injuries meant that they had to reshuffle Ben White at right back and a Premier League debut for Premier League debut even for William Saliba. Arsenal debuts for Zinchenko and Jesus. Neither of them getting on the score sheet. Zinchenko getting himself an assist for Gabriel Martinelli. Nobody's running away with it. I'm not running away with it, I promise. But this looks good. Arsenal have got a really, really young team. But the signs look good that the little bit of steel that we might need, thank you Manchester City for giving us two players, are there. Saliba looks good, he looks composed. Arsenal are in with a shout, but some of the lingering questions are still there. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not trying to hate on Arsenal, because I think, you know, I think buying Jesus and um, Zinchenko was, was a good move for Arsenal, because I think those are two winners. Used to winning games, used to winning trophies, you know, not going to settle for just battling for top six or whatever. So I get that. But I don't think this game told us anything. I, I just don't... I just felt like Palace weren't, didn't look that good. Zaha huffed and puffed a little bit. Edouard should have scored. I don't think it was a great game for Palace. I think they, they look like a team that is missing Conor Gallagher. I know he's not there anymore, but, he, you know, he, he, they did miss that something extra in midfield. I thought, was it the kid Anderson at, at the back looked very good? But other than that, they didn't really show much at all. And I think Arsenal looked OK and just capitalised on the fact that Palace weren't very good. But I don't think it told us much, if I'm being honest. I think that, you know, we'll get to see whether Arsenal are different from the Arsenal of the last three seasons under Arteta as the games come go on. But, yeah, for me, it's just a bit of a... Yeah, you know, Jesus looked like he wanted the ball, like he looked all right. Zinchenko looked good, which I'd expect him to. The likes of Martinelli and Saka, they're always going to cause you problems. But I don't think it said anything, to be honest with you. It was just sort of almost uh, what you'd expect. And I'm not trying to hate on, you know, Arsenal, because it's a win. It's certainly, you know, I wish I had an opening day win. But yeah, I don't think you can look, at, I don't think you can look too much into it at all in all honesty winning on the opening weekend it's not for everybody Jay uh, before we wrap up I completely forgot to ask you but I'm going to wrap up the show by asking you Cristiano Ronaldo did get off the bench against Brighton he got 35 minutes couldn't affect the result in a positive way and get United a point or a win we know that he wants to leave we know the situation the speculation that's still swirling around what is the latest with Cristiano Ronaldo staying at Manchester United I mean it looks like he's going to stay because no one's going to come in for him I mean, you know, he did put in a, a shift for those 35 minutes at Old Trafford and, he, you know, he's, he's still playing for us. But I think in, a, in an ideal world, he'd move on. But I don't think anyone's going to come in, even if he takes a pay cut. I don't, you know, a Cristiano Ronaldo pay cut, he's still going to want at least 250, 300k a week. I don't think he's getting it as well as someone who's in the Champions League. So I think he's probably going to end up staying. And I never thought I'd say this, certainly not this time last year or whenever it was he arrived, but... I don't know how if that's going to be the best move for everyone because, uh, you know, a slightly disgruntled Cristiano Ronaldo isn't the you know isn't what you want at Manchester United, especially when you're trying to start this new era, and you've got a 37-year-old striker who, who you know wishes he was elsewhere, but you've just got to make the best of it. And he is a player that can still get you goals. We've now just got to find a way of giving him some service because against Brighton, like the rest of his his attackers, he didn't really get any. 
Yeah, indeed. Brave new world for Eric Ten Hag and Manchester United, led from the front by a 37-year-old striker. And as we're continuing the theme from last season, some things never change. Cristiano Ronaldo dominating the headlines for Manchester United. We are going to wrap it up for the first Premier League podcast of the 2022-23 season. Jay, Adam, as always, thank you for your time on a big opening weekend. Thanks, uh, and I'll see you soon. And hopefully, I'm on with Jay again soon when he's just as sad. That'd be lovely. Do you know what? Do you know what the sad <laughs> thing about this is? You, you kind of go easy on me now. I feel. I don't it's feel like sorry for you. Up here. I can tell it. I can see it. I can hear it in your voice. You've not even got that. It's sort of like, oh, do you know what? <laughs> it's it's only United, and it? it's. I'm gonna I'm gonna go easy on him again. That's worse. I feel like David Moyes when he was at Old Trafford, where managers were just nice <laughs> to him. <laughs> no, I'll feel sorry for you. If you struggle to beat Liverpool and Spurs and Chelsea and Arsenal, then I'll struggle. But that, those are the games that I, I need you, Jay. I need you for those games. So we'll see. It's, it's early doors yet. You, you still might be in for a, a mid-table finish. We'll see. <laughs> Hope springs eternal. Hope springs eternal indeed over a mid-table finish. Uh, and if you like the lads arguing with each other or Adam giving Jay a bit of a pat on the head, don't forget, hit subscribe. We're back to seven podcasts a week. A podcast every single day, dipping into all the latest Premier League news, transfer, gossip, opinion. We've got everything covered as the season roars back into action. Thanks so much for listening on the first podcast back in business this season. And we'll speak to you again very very soon football social daily subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode <laughs>